0: our scripture reading comes from the end of the gospel of matthew chapter 28 16 through 20 commonly the called the great commission now the eleven disciples went to galilee to the mountain to which jesus had directed them and when they saw him they worshiped him but some doubted and jesus came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me for a moment? Lord, I pray that my words might be useful to you and to your church, that you might guide them Allow them to be a blessing. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the tasks that I've been given as a transitional pastor is, not again, just to be an interim pastor, a paperweight waiting from Andrew to the next person, but it's to remind us of who we are and where we are going. It's a time to just step back and remember, again, what does it mean to be not only a Christian, an individual, who is saved by the the saving grace of Jesus, but to be a community saved by Jesus. One of the interesting things is that in our well past couple hundred years of historic church life, it's become very easy to become very individualistic about our salvation, very individualistic about our mission The idea that Jesus loves you and it is so important and crucial and any Sunday if there's one thing that I want you to walk away from this building is seeing and hearing and knowing that you are loved by the creator of the universe you by name are loved so I don't want to overshadow that but I don't want to also lose in the process that we are together loved And that not only did God love you individually and ask you into his presence and into his family, but he's asked you to join in his family. And so he has gathered us together. For what purpose? To what ends? Why has he gathered us as a group, as a community, as a collective? It's another thing that's interesting is that we read the scriptures and we often just take them and quickly just slap them on our situation and on our life. We take them out of that context, especially when we take a a verse or two or maybe just a a paragraph out. It's easy for us to take it, mold it, and conform it to the image of whatever context we're in at the time. I think that happens with this passage. Uh, It's the very end, the last paragraph of the Gospel of Matthew, and it's often referred to as the Great Commission. Just give me a little raise of hand if you've ever heard this referred to as the Great Commission or if you've ever heard the Great Commission passage or Great Commission living or Great Commission anything or seen someone with a t-shirt. Or I mean, it's just been marketed to the end that it's its own separate thing, isn't it? But it's not. It's the end of the book. Another thing that we try to do is we often try to just harmonize all the Gospels as if it's like three different witnesses were trying to measure up what happened here at this corner of this intersection during this accident. Get this witness, get this witness, and kind of put them all together and create a singular timeline. But I don't think that's what Matthew was trying to do, was he? I don't think that what Mark or Luke or John were trying to do. They weren't writing a biography of Jesus. We aren't here to get the timeline right. We're looking at the emphasis that they have. So I think it's important that before we go into this somewhat known, possibly famous passage, maybe we could take a look back and remember what was going on at the time. So not only are we having to look at Jesus, who called his disciples to a hillside, a hillside that they knew, a hillside they'd been to and prayed at before. He said, meet me at the hill. And they did. This is shortly after the resurrection. We don't have any mention of the 40 days. We don't have any of the encounters, but just a a precious few. He resurrects. He shows himself, reveals himself to several. And then he says, meet me at the hill. Another thing that we have to remember when we're reading the Gospels is not just the context of the story that is being told, but the context of those that it was written to in the time and era that it was being received. So let's look back, let's kind of take a little jump back into the setting of the Gospel of Matthew. You see, Matthew is writing to a community that has already heard the good news about Jesus. They've already gathered in the name of Jesus. They are typically Jewish believers. They are typically people who are dispersed. They're not in Judea. They're not in Jerusalem. They're up in Samaria. They're up in the the, the Antioch, Damascus, modern-day Syria region. And they are gathered from the synagogues, and they heard about the Messiah has come. They heard that Jesus, the king, had come and to set about his kingdom, and they'd heard about the resurrection. And so he gathered together, and he wrote the gospel to proclaim the new king has been born, the new king has lived, and the new kingdom has begun. Why is that important? Well, Imagine that maybe he wrote it for a group maybe as big as we have gathered here today, which is nice to know that God would write some scripture for someone, for a group this size. But also realize something. They didn't have a choice on which church to go to, did they? There wasn't any schisms yet. There wasn't any Protestantism, Catholicism, or Orthodoxy. There was just this band of people known as the Way It wasn't until later on in Antioch, in this very region that he was writing to, that they were ever first even called Christians, Christ followers. It was a new moment, a new movement, not organized. But it was organized by the spirit of God and the truth of the resurrection. The good news that the real king, not Caesar, not Roman emperors, but that the king of the universe had come. So it's mostly Jewish Christians. And they were marginalized, and they were a minority sect within their communities. And they did not have a large infrastructure to lean on to think that, look at us, we are here together. Later on in the service, I believe we're going to be professing the, the Apostles' Creed. Many of us can say it by heart, can't we? We've been saying this creed for 1,800 years as Christians. It yokes us together, not only with the millions of people even billion people worshiping Jesus this morning. It yokes us with those that have been before us for over a millennia. These people did not have that to lean on. So I wanna just highlight that, that when we think about the resurrection, when we think about a people hearing again about the resurrection story to whom it was written, it's a commissioning to them to believe that what they've heard is real what they've heard is true what they've heard will sustain them in a world that doesn't have the stabilities that you and i are blessed with the resurrection leads to commissioning for jesus's resurrection is not the end of his mission but rather it's the inauguration it inaugurates the further realization of jesus's mission for his disciples this means that as much as they failed Him during his passion, their call to follow him is now renewed and expanded. That's something I think that was interesting to think about. When Jesus called them to come to meet him on the mountain, he's calling them in the wake of some of their greatest failure as his support team and followers. What did Peter do? Deny him three times. What did the rest do? Scattered hid away in locked upper rooms, scrambling to figure out what just happened. So it's interesting to me that Jesus took this ragtag group of misfits and maybe 'er ne'er-do-wells and called them by name to gather again. To gather again at the top of the mountain. When when, when they saw him at the top, they worshipped him, but some doubted. They came to him, and they, then Jesus came to them, and he said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the end of the age. Very often in these kind of messages, it becomes a, a support, a little uh, a pep talk, a pregame, a halftime challenge to get out there and go evangelize the world, Right? This is the classic youth group text to to head people off right before we go and do a mission trip. It's go and make disciples. But before we hit the go, I'd like us to see where he started. Because he saw these people that I've described that are now scattered, that are a small sect. They don't have the infrastructure to lean upon. And he gathers them and he reminds them first and foremost, all authority has been given to me. All authority in heaven and on earth. All authority bigger than Rome bigger than empires, bigger than armies, bigger than gangs and violence and bandits, bigger than health and cancer and sickness, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does this look like? I'm gonna offer you this morning that there's two ways in which, there's two paths that we can look at authority. One is domination, dominion, and the other is liberation. You see, if Jesus is coming out there and saying all authority has been given to me, we can dominate this place, we can take it back, we can take it over, we can institute my ways, my kingdom, my plan. Go forth, gather the, gather the numbers and make it happen. First, let me just ask you, does that sound like the Jesus that we know from the scriptures? If, in case there's any doubt, I don't think Jesus by the very nature of the inauguration of his kingdom, is out to dominate this world, dominate individuals, dominate kingdoms. And I say this because what did he say when he opened up the text when he first started his ministry? He quoted from the prophet Isaiah. He quoted how the prisoners will be set free, the blind will see, justice will pour out and be done. Does that sound like domination? Or liberation. And then he continued his life. And why did people say that he had authority? If you take a look how authority is used in the Gospel of Matthew, every time it's used, it's in reaction to his healing work. Every time. Every time someone refers to him as having authority, it's that he's brought a sense of liberty of liberation, He speaks as one who has authority. He has authority over the wind. He has authority over the spirits. He has authority over death. Jesus' authority comes not to dominate, but to liberate, to empower, and to bring freedom. Not a simplistic, nationalistic sense of freedom, but to bring that freedom away from all those burdens, all those things that steal and take away life Anxieties, worries, fears, threats, disease, sin, death. The very act of the way Jesus finished his kingdom inauguration was by going to the cross. You can't get a more a, a, a less domination looking kingly act, can you? He had the moment. He had the opportunity. We do look in the Gospel of John when the, uh, the soldiers came up to find him. They, they said, is this the one? Are you who are looking? And he responded, what? I am. He invoked the I am that Moses got from God. God, give me your name. I am. Boom. He is the I am. And he invokes I am. And what happened to the soldiers who came to arrest him? They were knocked to the ground. Oh, Jesus had power. Jesus could have exerted dominion. He could have dominated. But he gave himself up to the cross so that he might defeat death by going through it. He might defeat sin by bearing it. He might defeat evil by showing the way of peace through liberation, not through domination. This is the Jesus way. So the authority, I think, is important that we take a look. That When Jesus then exerts his authority over his people, his followers, his disciples, those who, like many of us today, identify in the name of Jesus. All authority has been given to him. But that authority does not demand our submission, but rather an authority that empowers and liberates us to follow him. So then, what, is he, what are we supposed to do? Go into the nations, teaching to obey. What are we supposed to teach? Everything that Jesus taught. Not just the mere words that he taught, but the ways of Jesus. Obedience to everything that Jesus has commanded them. It's more than accepting mere dogma or doctrine. And that's something that I think, again, needs to always be refreshed to our memories. Why? Because we live in a modern world. We live in a world where we have way higher literacy rates than probably any other time in history. We have access to information more than we can actually know how to handle or use. We have access to information any time. I was talking with an educator recently. He said, yeah, my job isn't to give them the facts now, because they all have phones that can get them any fact they want. My job isn't to give them the facts. It's to tell them how to, to arrive and think about it, to, to engage it to deal with it, to identify what's true and what's not true. That's my job as a teacher. Kind of interesting. So that following Jesus is not merely just learning the dogmas and the doctrines. It's a call to pursue a style of life that is based on his love, his mercy, his justice. It's a, it's a call to live Jesus' lifestyle in the way he lived, in the way he kingdom, and the way he called people to himself. It's a command to be doers of the word that Jesus has spoken and not simply hearers. It's a call to a common practice, not a common religion. If you want to take a look at this, if you want to go somewhere also within the gospel of Matthew to get an idea of what he was talking about, open up to Matthew 25 sometime and read about the sheeps and the goats. It's a difficult teaching. It's a difficult passage because there are many that say, oh, Lord, Lord, I know you, I've worshipped you, I've come to you, and he says, you, I don't know, because you didn't care for the poor, you didn't clothe the naked, you didn't feed the hungry. Oh, but we had sang great praises to your name. This is the kind of life that Jesus is calling his people to live, a style of life based on love and justice and mercy. A style of life that sees everyone for their true humanity, the image of God that is literally in each human person. A style of life that sees in that person the dignity and the giftedness and the value of that person. We wanna flourish. We want our neighbor to flourish. We want love, we want peace. We don't want war, we don't want our success at the on the backs of another that's not the jesus way is it to god the liberating practice carries more weight than orthodox doctrine i'm going to repeat that again to god liberating practice carries more weight than orthodox doctrine living on as valdo venia who i quoted earlier in the in, in your bulletin today he said living on the other side of easter these early followers of Jesus are encouraged to envision, to conceptualize a mission that will reach everybody, regardless of ethnic or cultural differences. Why does Venia make that claim, that we are to envision, to conceptualize a mission that will reach everybody, regardless of ethnic or cultural differences? Because it's in the text. Again, remember, Jesus has called this band of people to go out to all the nations. That is a very non-traditional Israel kind of thing to do. Later on in the book of Acts, uh, in the, uh, Luke continues to write about how Jesus said, go to, the, go to Jerusalem and receive the Holy Spirit. Then I'll send you to Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. This is the master plan of God's kingdom, of the kingdom of Jesus, that all are now welcome. The dividing walls have been brought down, that Jew and Gentile can now be one family. It's not that the Gentiles can now join the Jewish people. It's not that Jewish people can now join the Gentiles. It's that out of everybody, out of the nations, God is going to make for himself a new humanity. Ephesians 2 talks about that. God is going to make out of dead, alive. He's going to make out of sin, forgiven. He's going to make out of darkness, light. He's going to make out of a fallen humanity a healed human people that are no longer, no longer partitioned off by our national identity. No longer partitioned off by our ethnic uh, formations that we've created, these castes that we've created in one species, in one race. No longer are we going to create a a caste system between economic stratospheres or citizenship or anything of that nature. Go and make disciples. It totally revolutionizes everything. If growth is what we are looking for as a church, whether it be us as an individual church or us as the church uh, global, if growth is what we're looking for, we should pay attention to the missionary strategy that we can find there in the book of Acts with this band of followers that Jesus commissioned on this hill. There can be no growth unless we're willing to think outside of the box. We can't see anyone else as another race that's, well, not fit for Jesus. We can't see someone else as a different economic stratosphere that's probably not a good fit for the kingdom. We can't see anyone uh, who's uh, divided up by gender or any other human construct. We go and we make disciples of all nations. And this is so radical because, again, remember who he's telling it to a group of people who are scared, a group of people who have no infrastructure, a group of people who have no global organization to lean on. They just had this message about the resurrection and the Holy Spirit. And they go and they preach. And they teach and they welcome those whom God calls to them. And there the church grows and it grows. What did Jesus say the kingdom was going to be like in one of his many times that he said the kingdom was like? He said it was like a mustard seed. Now, some of you may not like to cook, so you may not understand that a mustard seed is really, really tiny. But if you've ever had that good kind of brown mustard that has the kind of seeds all in it, just a clue those are mustard seeds. And if you've ever seen a mustard tree, it's not really a tree, it's just an overgrown thing. If you had a full, fully grown one, it would take up most of this entryway, this opening space here. It's huge. The birds would nest in it and it just become the smallest seed grows. And Jesus said, This is what my kingdom's gonna be like when we are led by the Spirit and proclaiming the good news that God is gonna call his people to him. From where? Select nations, from select people, from the upper class, from the lower class, from the middle class. We're going to build this kingdom on the backs of the good moral people. Next week, I'm going to give you a little uh, precursor. We're going to take a look at how Jesus came for the sick and not for the healthy. But here he says, go to the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them with a the Trinitarian formula. By the way, it's, I, think, I believe this is uh, Trinity, Trinity Sunday, so we have a Trinity text here for you. You're welcome. <laughs> I knew you were anticipating it. But baptizing them in the Trinitarian formula uh, implies that their incorporation into this community acknowledges and confessions a relational Godhead. You see, the very nature of a Trinitarian baptism is inclusion in his kingdom, inclusion in his new people, inclusion in this new life, but it's also inclusion in a God who is relational already in his very nature. Father, Son, and Spirit, three persons, one being, Again, if you want that explained, I'll pass you on to the elders because they're really smart and I'll let them answer it. We could stack books upon books upon books of trying to explain and understand the Trinity. And I can just tell you this. It is beyond our ability to fully grasp and understand the triune God. But what is clear is that God is relational and yet unified. God is diverse and yet has one substance and one entity and one nature. And God has called us to be a nation, his people. Not the United States nation, but his holy nation of believers in the name of Jesus. We are diverse, but unified. We are many, but one. So we're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a beautiful picture. And we are included in the God of the universe, the creator, the maker and sustainer of all life. And everything in it. Then, if we look back at authority, if the authority in Matthew 28 is interpreted as an authority for service, as the use that the Gospel of Matthew seems to suggest, then the goal of our Christian discipleship is not to gather the nations to conquer the other nations, is it? It's to continue to bring this welcome into the triune Godhead. It's to bring this welcome into this band of followers that follows Jesus. It's to bring this welcome into learning the ways of Jesus that bring life, that bring love, that bring sacrifice, that bring a a kingdom vision that looks not only to the days of now where we can taste the kingdom now, but a time when the kingdom will come and when all tears will be wiped away It brings us to a point where we can long for the day when all knees will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord because then these wars that we hate and we pray against every week with seemingly no effect. Seemingly. I don't want to be misheard there. But we pray and we pray and we're still subjected to a world, especially if we start looking at the headlines, we can start to believe that there's murders and robberies around every bush and around every corner but yet there is a truth that this world just is hurting does it need a church to dominate it or does it need a church to to proclaim love to proclaim mercy to proclaim forgiveness to proclaim resurrection hope I think you know the answer I think I know the answer It's hard to live it, and we don't always know how to execute it, but clearly Jesus has called us to go forth and live and preach and speak in a way that reflects who he is and reflects the Trinity and reflects the new life of his new kingdom that overthrows Rome not with violence but with sacrifice. So let me come to my conclusion I read, I study, I prepare for the text. Every now and again, somebody says something that's so uniquely clever. I go, oh, that's fun. I'm going to steal that. The problem is I can't remember who wrote this. So just know that this is stolen. I I can find it for you if you want it. You see, Jesus gives us this great commission. And somebody put a little hyphen in a highlight and bolded, co. It's the great co-mission. Clever, right? (laughs) Work with me here. Work with me. (laughs) You see, Jesus has called us to join him on his mission. Jesus has called us to join on his co-mission. Jesus calls us. He heals us. He names us. He seals us. He equips us. He fills us. And he sends us because he goes with us. Jesus in Matthew stays with the church. And he launches a mission that is really a co-mission with him. By his presence, by his presence amidst his people, the risen Christ is announcing today, as it was at the beginning of creation, the Spirit of God is creating a new reality where people are being called to serve the world beyond racial, ethnic, and religious differences. He's calling us to go beyond any of the barriers that we make as humans. He's calling us to go out and go forth with the good news that heals and calls and names and seals and equips and, f- and, and sends us. Because he said at the very end, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. May the Lord equip us, fill us, and send us with the belief That not only did God hear our prayer when we cried out to him, but he is ready to hear the prayer of somebody else who's crying out for him. May we be the people who are prepared to give a good word for the hope, the resurrection hope that we have. And we trust that God will do the conversion. God will do the calling. And God will bring people into his fold to walk with us and join the family. Amen? Lord, help us to believe this. Help us to be filled with your Spirit. Help us to be prepared to just give a simple answer for the hope that we have. But Lord, I pray that this week you might, that you might send us, that you might give us the opportunity to share a good word, to point people to Christ, and even go and make disciples this week, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.